Section two of Mrs. Diamond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Mrs. Diamond by Anne Isabella Thackeray Ritchie. Book one. Chapter two. In a gig. I saw her upon nearer view a spirit yet a woman too her household motions light and free and steps of virgin liberty a countenance in which did meet sweet records promises as sweet the north of england is essentially a romantic country to a southerner used to narrow enclosures to thick-grown hedges to close-packed villages all peaceful and economical of space and emotion there is something very impressive in widespread chases, in horizons that heave mile beyond mile, in great moors and fells, cloud-swept perpetually. These moors stretch for miles on either side of the long lines of railway, hiding away many a secret. There is a mystery of sylvan life, a treasure of rushing waters, of deep glens and valleys, a whole hidden world concealed below the surface of these plains that spread flat unbroken to all appearance as far as eye can strain if you cross them you become intimate with their secrets unsuspected depths of green and rocky terrace open at your very feet you look down into beautiful chasms swept by slanting light and shadow a tumult of waters echoes from the green depths a sweet overflow of vegetation droops to meet the spray flowers and ferns start from the shining rocks these wild glens and plains at once tender and austere all these places in their loneliness and beauty seem to me to express the very spirit of endurance and romance which exists in some people who certainly would not consciously seek a reflection of themselves in the rocks and plains which delight them while joe and tempy were scudding along the iron rails a country gig had been driving for miles across great grass fields where young colts were galloping in the sunshine, and inside the gig were two people, a little man with a long nose and a girl in a white dress and straw hat, making her happy discoveries, exclaiming delighted, beshaken, perched so high up that she could see into the first-floor windows of the little towns as they drove through them, and look for miles and miles across the country they had crossed. "'Shall we soon be at the station, Cousin John?' said the girl. I hope Grandpapa won't have to wait. How beautiful everything looks! She leant back as she spoke, the horse swerved, and a whole horizon of clouds, of far-away Cumberland Hills, seemed to revolve before her eyes. We shall be there in ten minutes, said Cousin John. Can you make out the sea, Susie? Look, there it is, shining in the hollow. "'Yes, you have seen something of the country at last, "'and you'll like to be able to say you have lunched at the castle.' "'Susie looked doubtful. "'Must we go on there?' she said, hesitating, "'and anything but enthusiastic. "'Dear me, not go,' answered Cousin John. "'Why, they sent a telegram to ask us. "'I knew Mrs. Vivian would be glad to see any friends of mine. "'Look, Roman remains,' continued the doctor, pointing with his whip-handle and doing the honors. Susie looked as she was bid, and while she looked the horse kept on its way. 
it did not take ten minutes to travel past as many centuries of time and to pass from the handiwork of the roman to the great tower of the old abbey church sunning itself in the morning light the delicate high arches were casting their shadows on a placid sward of green where sheep were browsing then they came to a bridge which crossed the stream beyond the valley and the doctor's whip now pointed to a wooden height beyond the bridge the castle is over there said he but the road winds round by the station and then in four minutes more they had reached the station not of roman legions but of civilization and its progress a train had just come in and some people were getting out of the carriages on to the platform there he is said the doctor with a cheerful wave of the hand pretty punctual eh jump down susie don't be shy walk him up to the castle they quite expect you i will join you there as soon as i can susie gathered her white skirt together and jumped as she was told for a minute she stood in the middle of the road then she turned nodded good-bye to cousin john and with a bright look ran to meet her grandfather who was standing at the far end of the platform he was a tall handsome old man dressed in a clergyman's black flapping coat he stooped a little as he walked susie was a slight bright-looking girl with a dazzling complexion and a round innocent-looking face she did not stoop but walked straightly and freely looking like some young nymph from the plains below as she passed some people standing by made way the old man seemed not a little perturbed as the girl came up and kissed him with a here i am grandpapa are you alone susanna where is cousin john what are we to do now where are we to go which is the way said he nervously cousin john showed me the way grandpapa he is coming back for us said susanna speaking more confidently than she felt and pointing vaguely up a road there are some other people going to the castle we can follow them you know susie and her grandfather did not hurry to pass the people who were walking ahead they were glad to be preceded by so imposing a party whose presence seemed to shield their own insignificance susie admired the important air of the two splendid ladies in brown and crimson of the fashionable young lady with the pink parasol there were also two gentlemen of the party one was a short fat good-natured looking little man in knickerbockers the other was a pale very young man who whirled an umbrella as he walked along susie might look with vague admiration at the preposterous presentable set of people who seemed so used to the world to great houses to open-air festivals she did not know how far more sympathetic a sight to world-worn eyes was the fresh young apparition of the smiling wondering girl as she advanced with her gentle old protector the two came together crossing sunshine and shadow the deer scarcely fled at their approach the whole summer world was alight there was a stirring of birds in the air a far-off shout of children's voices then the sound of the clock came up the avenue to meet them striking clearly the school-children must be there already grandpapa said susie is it one o'clock and mr holcombe pulled out his old-fashioned silver watch and said yes i suppose so my dear my watch is a little slow i thought it had been earlier everything was so sweet so silent so splendid in the sunshine that both susie and her grandfather by degrees forgot their shyness the two lingered for a minute to look through an open door at an old-fashioned garden of lilies and yew hedges to stare back at the solemn old chase beyond which the cumberland hills were floating then they reached the moat 
flooded with shining green leaves, and Susie stopped again, ivy charmed. Perhaps some spell left long years ago by the belted Will himself, the once owner of the old keep, had reached her. Meanwhile, the fashionable figures of today had disappeared through the gateway, and when the two inexperienced visitors came up in turn, the company had vanished utterly. No one was to be seen anywhere. They now had come to a low archway leading to the castle court. There was a bell swinging to a long iron chain, which Susie boldly pulled, but no one answered. No one was to be seen in the courtyard. It was all enclosed by old walls and latticed windows, and paved with flagstones and soft green turf. Once Susie caught sight of a rosy little child's face at a lattice, but then it vanished. A scent of jessamine was everywhere. It seemed as if the very stones gave out a perfume. Some great Scotch deerhounds were lying asleep upon the turf, and came slowly trotting up to the strangers to be petted. Then they turned and lay down to sleep in their sunny corner again. "'But where are we to go?' said Mr. Holcomb again. Susie looked at her grandfather, and seeing his distressed expression, began to be a little bit frightened, too. "'Can this be the right castle?' said the girl, half laughing still. "'I wonder where those people went to. Where can all the school children be? I think this must be the way, Grandpapa.' And she turned under a second gateway, where a scutcheon of carved stone hung among the rose sprays. Grandpapa stooped his handsome old head and followed her. They passed up a narrow passage. The adventurous Susie pushed a swing door, crossed a small antechamber, and suddenly stopped short. A sudden blaze and clatter met them. They had come wrong, and wandered into the great Gothic kitchen of the old castle, reflecting fire and sunshine and brass saucepans, full of people and preparations. Women were busy, chopping and thumping, Men with trays were passing busily across the flagged stones. The fires burnt as if it were December instead of August. Long processions of eatables stood ready on the dressers, jellies in shining armor, creams propped by gabions, fierce stacks of serried pastry, cairns of buns. All these preparations did not seem incongruous with the solemn old arches overhead, or the great oriel window shining down upon the busy scene. Beautiful things are like beautiful people, and rarely out of harmony with their surroundings. Susie might have been amused if it had not been for her grandfather's nervous look. She had never before realized his terror of strange sights and places. But if she was dismayed, she did not show it. She stood a composed white figure in the midst of the carnival, turning round as if to protect her dear old protector. And at this moment a serious-looking man, who might have been the master of the place, so dignified and urbane was he, came forward. "'Excuse me, you have taken the wrong turning,' he said. "'Will you kindly follow me?' And he led them across the kitchen, and opened a side door, and from thence ushered them into a great vaulted hall. It looked as big as the cathedral itself to Susie, with arches and windows, with pictures and armor everywhere, with people sitting at distant tables at the far end, and the sound of voices echoing from arch to arch." the trophies of armor were stacked at intervals iron knights stood with steel legs propped on to pedestals wielding battle-axes in their iron hands there were portraits of warriors who wore frills upon their mail of statesmen in puffed sleeves of ladies with high heels and coronets it was a very noble gathering all along the wall a company whose coronets on earth had long since let us hope been exchanged for coronets in heaven 
some of the people sitting at table looked up and saw these two strangers come in suddenly among them susie and her grandfather seemed like figures out of some old scotch ballad so quaint so shy so unconsciously dignified were they when something not of everyday life appertaining to them their clothes were country clothes their faces looked calm and tranquil as country faces do they advanced looking neither to the right nor the left and sat down in the seat the butler pointed out susie was an undoubted presence you could not pass her over although she had scarcely been beyond the yew hedges of her grandfather's rectory until now she had some beauty though she thought herself so plain for her round face did not please her own taste nor did her hazel eyes so liquid so prominent they could laugh they could call they could weep on occasion or they could become stone and seem asleep for days altogether susie found herself sitting next to the party of people they had followed up from the station the young lady was at the head of the table the young man looking very small was between the two grand ladies and the fat gentleman in the velveteen costume was next to susie herself he looked very friendly made way for her turned about to see what there was for them to eat drink and be merry with cold grouse said the gentleman excellent salad i can recommend the cutlets tempy can you hand me that dish of mayonnaise our hosts are in the tents he explained but they wished us to help ourselves you went wrong i'm afraid i had half a mind to come back and look for you i sent the butler to find you thank you said susie opening her eyes and mr holcombe bent forward and said in his pretty old-fashioned way it was truly kind of you sir to concern yourself on our behalf my granddaughter and i are strangers here and have indeed no real right to be present on this occasion oh we have all a right to be here said the gentleman since our hosts are hospitable people i don't know if i can be of any use showing you over the grounds i am sure i shall be very glad here is my niece she has seen nothing yet and he looked at the young lady who was munching away with a hearty appetite at the head of the table don't look at me uncle bolsover said the niece in a loud voice i'm not near ready yet i'm perfectly ravenous tempy as she predicted had recovered her temper and her appetite too leaning forward to susie she said what time did you leave home not very early we are staying at carlisle said susie shyly i drove over with the cousin who brought us here well he should have taken better care of you said the young lady and now mind you keep by us hush my dear tempy don't speak so loud whispered one of the grand ladies the grimmest of the two bending forward emphatically she was dressed in red and brown and green she was plain-featured and rather alarming susie thought the other lady was plump fair affected with a curious little tiresome silvery laugh which went tinkling on perpetually she had twinkling diamond earrings a marabou in her bonnet and a quantity of beautiful old lace round her throat and wrists and an elaborate manner as for the girl she was pink-cheeked and red-haired fresh and bouncing she seemed quite used to the world and its ways she had a loud voice a military decision and good-natured directness and gave one an impression somehow of being in uniform the young man seemed to be receiving a great deal of advice with a great deal of indifference and with an occasional glance at miss tempy who openly shrugged her broad shoulders 
susy sat wondering at everything in her demure fashion everybody seemed to her wonderfully kind from the butler to the invisible hosts she was fascinated by her new acquaintance and the fat gentleman's attentions pleased her grandfather too some days have a way of lighting up beyond all others with a peculiar happiness of their own a bright intensity never to be dimmed again so long as life exists and this day was one of these many sad days came for susy after this happy one that seemed so warm so long so full of enjoyment the present was better than anything she had ever dreamt of and indeed to the young both joy and sorrow when they come in their turn seem greater than they could have ever imagined susanna holcomb was eighteen the sun was shining the feudal castle was rearing its grand old walls the birds were in the air everybody else was happy and why should not susy take the delight of the hour she had established a tacit understanding with the friendly fat gentleman the young one was so kind as to offer her some mustard miss tempy seemed already a friend for life so communicative had she become over her chicken a loud shouting in the court outside put an end at last to the luncheon they all got up and went to the door at the far end of the great hall it led on to a little terrace upon which they all crowded for the courtyard below was invaded by a chubby pacific mob which must have surprised the knights in armor used to such a different tradition the company from the hall was met by a tremendous cheer as it appeared which the master of the house who stood laughing at the head of this invading force signed to mr bolsover to acknowledge and mr bolsover quite in his element immediately made a low bow and began a speech which was more or less appropriate and inaudible i am not going to describe at length the program of the day's festival for susy the story might have been told not in tents and buns and games in the ring but from more delightful and less tangible aspects dr john was delighted when he arrived to find his proteges in such good company mr vivian himself was showing mr holcomb the old moated garden and susy arm in arm with her new friend met him with a beaming smile dear me susy has miss diamond taken you under her wing said dr john i was unavoidably delayed at the inn by an accident i am glad to find you have been so well looked after how do you do mrs bolsover how do you do miss bolsover the grand ladies acknowledged the little doctor's salutation with their fingertips and meanwhile miss tempy dragged susy away and went on cross-questioning her all the way across the lawn along the terrace all down the steps don't you think tempy an odd name i am sure you never knew anybody else called tempy it was poor mamma's name you know she was temperance and they christened me tempy those are my two aunts aunt carr and aunt fanny brought us up that sort of thing dragged us along by main force my brother says have you got a brother i have two little half-brothers said susy but i see them very rarely my mother has married again i live with my grandfather oh said the other we don't like second marriages i should never allow it nor my aunts either papa always consults me at least he generally does says tempy but i have had a great deal to try me lately i can't tell you about it never never allude to the subject to me or to anybody else how old are you i am long past nineteen said susanna apologizingly i know i look much younger and i'm not yet sixteen said miss tempy with a sudden explosion of laughter who would ever imagine you so many years older than me but you don't know me yet 
Miss Martin often says there is a great deal more in one than people have any idea of at first. I suppose you think me plain, don't you? says Miss Tempy, blinking her blue eyes. It is a pity, isn't it? One doesn't do oneself justice, though. Of course, looks don't matter. I don't think you plain at all, said Susie, laughing. Looks do matter a little, I suppose, but a great many ugly people have been very happy and good. Well, Papa likes my looks, said Miss Tempy, only half satisfied, and of course I care more for his opinion than for anybody else's. As they talked, they were walking along a beautiful fern-grown pathway that led towards the gorge, where the waters were tumbling over the stones. To Susie, every commonplace word was idealized by the rushing of the waters in the gully below, by the stately vanguard of pines that ruled the summit of the hill. Some of the children had straggled up into this beautiful wild grove and were gathering the bluebells that grew among the ferns. The light was turning yellow and the shadows were beginning to grow long. Before parting, Susie's new friend, in return for so much confidence, had made her describe her home, old Betty and the cook, the tranquil rectory by the churchyard, the old yew-tree by the church door. "'And what is your mother like?' says Tempe. "'My mother?' said Susie, and her whole face brightened. "'She is very beautiful and very, very dear and gentle. She has brown eyes and a lovely face. I'm like my father,' people say. Nobody ever could be like Mama again. But here Cousin John came running after them, calling out that it was time to go. "'Take your grandfather back to the train, or we shall have him climbing the maypole or running in a hurdle race. Was not I right to make him come?' Susie thought she had never seen her grandfather look so well and animated. He had charmed the whole party by his gentle, old-fashioned grace. He laughed, his cheeks were flushed, his eyes looked bright. He looked ten, twenty years younger than when he arrived. "'It has been a happy day, a very happy day, my dear,' he said, as they were both going back together by themselves. The Bolsovers were in another carriage, and Susie and her grandfather were alone. "'Mr. Vivian knew your father, my dear. He had a brother in the same regiment. He was kind enough to ask us to return on some future occasion. If we revisit our good cousin, I certainly hope to see those kind people again.' All the way back, Mr. Holcomb sat up, talking very brightly. Susie was even surprised at her grandfather's audacity in venturing to laugh when she talked of her new friends. "'They amused me, my dear,' said the old gentleman. "'The ladies were not without pretension, but I am glad you got on with them.' They found the doctor's wife and her little girls looking out for their return. The curtains were drawn, the supper was laid, the little parlor looked homelike and comfortable. A fire was burning in the hearth, and it was reflected in the round glass that hung on the opposite wall. "'I thought you might be cold after your journey,' said the doctor's wife, in her usual querulous tone. "'What an expedition you have had! Will John be back to-night?' "'He won't be long, Cousin Ellen,' said Susie. "'It has been perfectly delightful, and Grandpapa is not a bit tired.' As she spoke, her grandfather sank down wearily into a seat." A long day, my dear Ellen, but a very pleasant one, said Grandpapa. He sat with his arms resting on the arms of the chair. He had lost his bright look and was paler than usual. Well, you must rest tomorrow before your journey, said the doctor's wife. I'm sure I can't think why you don't stay longer, Cousin Edward. I'll take a good rest tomorrow, said Cousin Edward. It is very good of you and John not to be weary of such a cranky old fellow as I am. But I want to get home, Ellen. 
ellen who was a good soul at heart though a grumbling friend now began ringing the bell and preparing mr holcomb's supper telling him that he must not think of waiting for her husband don't you marry a doctor whoever you take susie morning noon and night there is never an hour one can count upon them well who was there and what was it all like while susie chattered on of castles drawbridges knights in armor the old man drank his hot soup broke a bit of bread and tasted a little wine then mr holcomb got up saying he was tired and should go to rest good night he said and he kissed susie very tenderly afterwards she remembered that he raised his hands and put them on her head as if in benediction your grandfather's tired to-night but he is a young-looking man for his time of life said cousin ellen as he left the room we are a young-looking family susie what age should you give me the doctor's wife did not wait for an answer to susie's great relief but wandered on lou and bessie don't look their age either she said poor girls they are disappointed to think you won't stay a little longer now you are here why you have seen nothing yet and this was true enough except for that day's expedition susie's impressions de voyage had been confined to the smoky cathedral tower the statue in the market-place and the hucksters crying their wares all round about it to the doctor's laborious home where the wheels of life turned but certainly were not oiled i don't take to strangers said the mother of lou and bessie but i don't look upon you two as strangers though you have only been here a week do you know your mother stayed with us over a fortnight once it was before that foolish marriage of hers no my dear you needn't look so black we none of us ever liked him and she was a foolish woman mr marney makes my mother very happy said susie blushing and drawing herself up it was a relief to her that the doctor came in just then brisk shivering in good spirits hungry and talkative and changed the thread of his wife's comment where's your grandfather gone to bed well children well ellen here i am susie will have told you all about it we have had a lovely day and i wish you would come with us you really seem to think john said the doctor's wife that i have nothing to do but to drive about in a gig and praise the weather i should say it had been a very usual sort of day then she stopped was that your grandfather's bell susie i wonder if he has all he wants and susie jumped up what can he want said the girl running out of the room the doctor helped himself to a glass of claret his wife got up and went to make up the fire and then in another minute they heard the bell ringing and ringing again and susie's voice overhead calling passionately cousin john cousin john cousin john turned pale some instinct told him what had happened something that all his goodwill and long experience could not help nor susie's piteous terrified prayers and tender tears she sat on the bedside with her sweet face bent to her grandfather's pale lips holding him up with all her anxious strength but the dear old man lay at rest and they could not disturb him any more to life very late at night the doctor's wife came and put her arms round the girl and led her away john is writing to your friends cousin ellen said would you like anyone to come to you oh mamma i want mamma said susie bursting into tears and she asked for a pencil and paper and wrote a few words darling mamma they are so kind but please come please come to your susie and the doctor enclosed the note in his own more formal letter end of book one chapter two